Hello, this is Johnny Campbell, and you are listening to Awaken Nation with Brad Solace. A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up. Tired of the way things used to be, they are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zalas, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers, the disruptors, and the game changers. Everyday people, just like you and me, from all over, who are doing amazing things. Welcome to Awakened Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, I got Johnny Campbell on the line today. Uh, you're going to love this. He's a good friend. Johnny, you ready, brother? I'm ready, sir. <laughs> uh, Johnny Campbell is a keynote speaker and author who helps people develop the mental readiness to embrace change so they can perform better and achieve better results in their workplace, business, and life. Johnny is the author of the book, Becoming the Agent of Change, and the TEDx talk called How an Enemy Can Improve Your Life. We're going to be talking about that today. I love that talk. He is also the past president of the National Speaker Association for the State of Illinois and is an accredited speaker, a designation awarded by Toastmaster International and held by only 87 professional speakers in the world for excellence in public speaking. And I can attest to that. One of the greats on stage. Johnny gained his team management and sales expertise in the insurance industry where he worked as a corporate sales trainer and participated in leading hundreds of people through multiple corporate downsizings and mergers. Based on Johnny's sales results, experiences, and his ability to help organizations overcome their challenges and succeed in their businesses, he is called the Transition Man. Please welcome to Awakened Nation, Johnny Campbell. What's up, buddy? Hey, Brad. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. I have watched you progress with this project, and I'm happy to finally be a part of it. Thanks, brother. I, you know, I love, uh, ever since we first met, we met at a Tony Rubaleski event, and we've, um, we've had to, uh, you know, share the stage, uh, break bread, have some fun, and enjoy each other, and we've gotten to know each other as friends. I have to say, you are one of the very best speakers I've seen on stage. And um, I've, I've seen all the greats, man, and you just rock. I, I love watching you. And you, you said this recently. You said, I can't do anything else. You know, <laughs> this is what I do. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like Jimmy Buffett, man. Cheeseburgers in paradise. That's all I can do. <laughs> Cheeseburgers in paradise. That's it. So I want to talk about your TED talk, and sure. this this is probably my favorite. I mean, your subject is one of those subjects that just reaches out and smacks you right between the eyes, and it's um, how an enemy can improve your life. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how an enemy can improve your life. When I had the opportunity to do a TEDx talk, an organizer had heard me speak at another event. And at the time when, they, when she approached me, she said, I would love for you to come and speak at my TEDx event. And I kind of knew indirectly what a TEDx event was, but I kind of messed with her and I said, who's Ted? What's Ted want with me today? So I kind of just messed with her like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I had seen TEDx and TED Talks on YouTube. 
So when she talked to me about it, she said, I really believe you'll be great for our TEDx experience. So you have to do a certain things, you know, to be prepared for it. So I started to go into the TEDx world of video. And what I saw was that the TEDx speakers that I was watching, a lot of them really weren't professional speakers. They had come from other genres, other disciplines, and they were doing a TEDx talk. And to me, there was a disconnect because I said, whatever I talk about has to correlate to what I speak about so that I can use it as leverage to create an opportunity. So right there, Brad, I already knew any kind of social cause and initiative was out because I don't talk on those topics. Right. Generally. Right. And I had to talk about something that I felt could leverage that opportunity, not that social cause and initiatives are bad but it doesn't fit my model for being successful as a speaker. So I said, I'm going to talk about something that everyone knows about, but everyone hasn't thought about in this particular way and how it can help. And that's, so what I did was I had about 90 days to get ready. So I spent 60 days writing and 30 days actually rehearsing. But I had came up with the idea of an enemy. And I said, how an enemy can improve your life. And my whole rationale was enemy, if you go deeper, could be co- is competition. And the competition is based on people, situations, and things that affect us. Every single day that we get up, we are raging against an enemy. It could be of complacency. It could be of bad health. It could be of dealing with people. But each one of these things is a thing that we rage against that makes us better because we have to go through that in order to grow. And so that's when the idea kind of formated and it said how an enemy can improve your life. So my rationale was how competition makes us better in this world and makes us more productive. We live in a day and age, this is kind of interesting, where everybody's supposed to get along and we have anti-bullying campaigns and we have all these, we're all supposed to sit around and sing Kumbaya. And the reality is, is that's not life. Life is about competition. You don't walk into an office and you're the absolute worst and expect to rise to the top. I mean, you'd, you'd have to be delusional to believe that you, you deserve to be paid the same salary um, as the guy who gets 10 times the amount of work done during the day. And I think we've lost touch with that competitive edge uh, in America because you really do. Just look at all the sports greats from Muhammad Ali to... You know, you're, you're watching uh, Russell Wilson last night. You know, you, right. you have to have rivals to in- mm-hmm. up your game, to increase your game. You know, the Patriots and the Seahawks, you know, that's, that's going to be a little bit of a rival from here on out because of the Super Bowls. Um, you, you're you're going to try and get better. And I love the fact that you were talking about this because you see it in the corporate world. You see it in personal life. You see it in everywhere. Right. Absolutely. I mean... One of the things that I observed is that how do you grow unless you're going up against something every single day? Like, how do you become better and how do you improve? And competition, whether, like I said, it could be a person, a situation, or a thing, allows us to be better and allows us to become something greater. And in my TED Talk, I reference Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. and in the mm-hmm. talk, I talked about how both men 
absolutely agreed competition made them better. And Jobs went even further and said, if we didn't have Microsoft, we would make up an enemy in <laughs> order for us to improve and get better. Right. And, and he was always, even in his commercials, remember, to all the renegades, to all the, the, the people that yeah. went the other way. Well, what is that saying? That's saying you, what, you're competing. You want to be something greater, and you're going against the norm. The norm is the enemy of your greatness. Yeah. So Jobs was even arguing that through his, through his company. <laughs> right. Uh, Shia Day created that ad campaign, you know, to all the rebels, the, the, the free thinkers, the people who create change. And then they right. would put up um, Mahatma Gandhi and uh, yeah. the, uh, Albert <laughs> yeah. Einstein. And the phrase that they wrote out was actually based on a uh, Jack Kerouac um, oh. phrase, phraseology, you know, to the rebels, you know, because Jack Kerouac on the road with Jack Kerouac was became like uh, necessary reading back in the 90s, especially. 80s and 90s. Um, if you want to get great, you have to align yourself with people who are greater than you. And you can't see it as, oh, I can't believe there, there's so much better. You got to get in there. You got you to play the game full out. You got to try and outdo them and be a little more cunning and a little more fun and a little more. And I think uh, that's hard in this day and age because people have been taught, you know, competition is bad. And I disagree. Healthy competition is good. Uh, I see it in the martial arts. I see it in sports. I see it in business. Uh, and I love it. What, what, who is your big nemesis that made you better? Well, it depends on where we were in my life. In, like, in college, <laughs> I played sports. I ran track. So we were just throughout my – really, from the time I – was a from 11 on up competition was always an important part of my life and all the coaches always stressed if you don't want to get better the people you are competing with are getting better and because they're getting better you need to get better they're not asleep you don't need to be asleep they're working out they're getting better so competition in high school into college was always that same mentality of they're whoever we're competing against they're getting better, and you need to work out. And that attitude carried into corporate America, where I was like, I had a job interview, and there were, I knew there were other people interviewing for the job that I was looking for. Well, that's competition. So I had to figure out what made me different than everyone else interviewing for the same job. So that's competition, and because I knew there were others wanting the job, it up, helped me up my game. And that has been kind of the genesis of my own personal progression is always there's something out there that I'm going against to be getting better. So for us, Brad, as speakers, the enemy of my success right now, Brad, is obscurity. That's what I rate. <laughs> the, enemy, the enemy of your success today is obscurity. Explain that. Not enough people know who I am and what I do and how I can help improve their situation as it relates to dealing with change. And not enough people know. So every day, I try to rage against obscurity by saying, how can I get more people to know me today so that I have more opportunities to speak tomorrow? But today, yeah. the enemy is always obscurity. Yeah. 
you know, I always say to business people, because um, they'll ask me to build a website, let's say. And I'm like, okay, the website's done. Now what? And they get very <laughs> disappointed that nobody comes to the website. I said, well, you need marketing too. So there's only three things you have to worry about in a business, sales management and marketing. Right. And people are like, well, what, do, what, do, what are you talking about? Well, if, if you have trouble with employees or you're trying to reach a, a certain you know, uh, contact, that falls under sales and management. But if nobody knows who the hell you are when you walk through the front door, that's a marketing problem. Right. And, and you know, the, head, the head of Procter & Gamble, one of the marketing divisions, when he went to retire after a 15-year career at Procter & Gamble, they said, what is the one thing you wish you had done um, while at Procter & Gamble? And he actually said, I wish I understood marketing. <laughs> so, oh, because all the people under him understood it. They know what it's about. You know, true marketing professionals understand the value of it. But right, I like to right. look at it this way. And it, not to be crass, but this is what it is. Those of you who are listening, how many of you are married? Okay. Marketing is romance. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what marketing is. It's romance. It's the buildup to copulation. Sales is copulation. I don't mean to be crass, but that's wow. what it is. It's the closing of the deal. Now, if you're in a long-term relationship with clients, just like in marriage, what do you think you need to do to get more of the sales? You need more romance. So marketing is romance. It's a constant job. It's the need to make sure that your clients and customers always sit there and potential clients and customers always can sit there and say, oh, wow, I can't wait to work with these people. They're so incredible. Oh, and they can't say enough about you. Okay. Right. That's what we're talking about. And I agree with you, Johnny. I don't think enough people know about you because you're extraordinary from the insurance industry. You know, I reached out to you when I had to speak at a couple of insurance conferences and I was astounded at your knowledge of the insurance industry. <laughs> I mean, I really, that's where I grew up. A lot of the people, Brad, that we see in the marketplace haven't really been in the marketplace doing yeah. the work and they're out speaking and they're telling people things. And if they haven't been in that industry, you can really mess somebody up when you give them your advice. So that's oh, why Lord, yeah. to do yeah. the research. If nothing else, a person really needs to do the research before they enter a space to speak. But a lot of people that I observe, they go out, they speak, but they haven't really, really, they don't have a base of knowledge that they operate from to help people. And right. I come from this insurance industry where there was massive change, reorganization, the culture had shifted, the technology had shifted, and just the overall leadership view on how people should be effective was different. And that's where the core of my insight comes from when I go out to speak. So I'm not coming from some place where I'm guessing. I'm like, I lived this thing. Good exactly. And, and so that's what I'm able to share now with groups. You, you can always tell, um, there, there was this, this theme that was going on in the speaking industry for a few years, and that was, mm -hmm. just read 500 books on this subject, and you're an expert. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, a load of hooey. So I remember, this happened years ago, somebody was chatting about, 
how entrepreneurs start their businesses. And, and all these answers that came back were just fluffy nonsense. <laughs> and I, and they came to the Q&A session. They're like, what made you start your business? And I said, anger. <laughs> Nobody had brought that. The whole room like turned and looked at me like, whoa, 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 could you expound on that? It's like nobody starts a business because they want to change the universe. They usually are angry. They want to, they're frustrated. They don't like the way business is being done and they're going to show the world how to do it better. And that, absolutely. And, and it's usually in your industry too. You know, you're pissed off at your own industry. Right. That's, that is it. Like a lot of people would ask me, wow, Johnny, you've been a speaker for 20 years. You, you know, you decided to quit your job and be this great entrepreneur. And I'm like, no, I got fired. That's why I'm a speaker today. If they would have left me alone and let me just be the trainer I was, I would have still been working in insurance. They phased out that job and then they had nerve to redesign the job where it did not fit my skills or abilities anymore. And when that happened, I was like, I can never let anyone ever do that to me again. And that's what pushed me out into the world of speaking. It was never this, I'm going to shed corporate America and go on my own. It was what you said, Brad, anger. They, yeah. they pushed me out. And I said, I gotta, I'm going to do it for myself now. I see this all the time. And it's, it's happened to me personally. I've been asked to teach at certain places and then they find out I don't have the right degree. Okay. Right. <laughs> and then they, t they tell me, well, we can't have you. And it's like, wait a minute. I have a better resume than any of your people with a master's degree. And I've accomplished more and you don't want actual real world advice. Is that what you're saying? And this happens all the time. I had a friend of mine who was teaching a college course. He, the professor asked him to come in and talk about entrepreneurship. And at one point, they got into a little, um, you know, tete-a-tete. -tete. They, they were arguing because everything that the professor was talking about was theory. And everything right. my friend, was, Steve, was talking about uh, was actual advice. And he started dozens and dozens of successful businesses. And so the, the, the students at one point, they said, well, well, our professor says if, if you start a, a business the way you've said, it won't be successful. He goes, and how many businesses did your professor start? You know, right. it's zero. So we're living in a world of textbook theory, and kids are coming out of college as young adults with a lot of theory in their heads and not actual advice. And they've actually been taught not to listen to older people who actually have this advice. You know, here's something also fascinating, Brad, that I – over the years, <clears throat> when I talk about change and things of that nature, there are a lot of young people that we see that are really, really successful. And here's the thing that they are not, I, I started to discover this. The reason they're successful isn't because they're social media gurus. They are so smart and insightful. They're successful because of timing when they started doing what they're doing that you can't control it's no like when i see a kid with a million followers i'm like when did he start 
And what was YouTube or Facebook's algorithm doing at that moment? Right. Like, like it's timing that allows some people to have massive success at a young age. It's not that they had the great skills. No. They had the timing and the, and the environment allowed them to flourish in that way. And then no. you come, you and I come along later and do the exact same steps they did, but get less results from that. Yeah. And you're well, like, how is it that they can do it and I can't do it at the same level? And we think it's us. And we yeah. don't expect that it's environment and timing that has affected our results. Well, uh, this idea of an overnight success is a load of hooey. There's no such thing as an overnight success. The media tries to make it look that way, but if you look into the person's past, the, the majority of successful individuals who continue to be successful through their life had at least a 10-year ramp up in their chosen field before they were actually known. So I remember the, the, when that 70s show first came on, uh, they were jumping up and down that these guys are overnight successes. And it's like they were talking about Topher Grace and Ashton Kutcher. And it's like somebody wrote an article that was just brilliant. It says, hell no. Ashton Kutcher was a male model for like catalogs and all these stuff and did fashion for 10 years from the time he was a 12-year-old kid on up till he got his break to be on the show. Topher Grace did community um, uh, theater. He was acting. He was constantly in commercials. He hustled like crazy until he got his chance to be on that show. So there is no such thing as an overnight success. It takes a hell of a lot of hard work, and we see a lot of these, what we call influencers today. But the reality is, is you have young people with a particular set of skills who are willing to step up. They have the, the chutzpah to step up and put their face on a video and do some fun things. And mm -hmm. so that's the challenge nowadays. We try to repeat that kind of success. And it's just, we're, as a baby boomer myself, we can imitate the mechanical part of it. But the reality is it comes back to marketing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Marketing Definitely. is how do you get people to reach out and want to follow you? How do you create rabid followers? Right. That's, you know, I'm doing that right now. I have two Instagram accounts, one for my speaking and one for my hobby that I love, Brad, which is fishing. Yes, and I remember you're a big fisherman. Yes. Right. So I've got a bass fishing Instagram account and I have watched, I've had it for two years and I've watched it grow slowly, but exponentially, but very slowly. And, and I'm observing what makes these things in social media happen and it's still timing and environment when the when the algorithm is a certain way johnny wins when they change it johnny loses but i'm doing the same things and so that's what i'm saying is that you know like i'm just observing that in the social space here but, but at the end of the day I, marketing I, is the most important but i'm gonna interrupt real quick and i have to say when we really try to manipulate, especially as a speaker, or you're, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are self-help gurus and they're doing videos and look at me, buy my books. You are tapping into something that actually is a niche of people who like fishing. And that's where your passion begins. You've got to look into the passion part 
of anything yeah. you create because that, once again, marketing. Marketing, I mean, Awakened Nation has taken off because I've abandoned this whole, like, we're going to talk about business. I don't care about business. I want the story. The stories right. are much more interesting. And so those things get an emotional response from people. And yeah. that's really what's driving a lot of this great stuff, this great content. So if any of you are listening who are trying to figure this out, it really does boil down to that thing that you can't predict that suddenly makes you more popular than everybody else. That's the secret sauce. That's what you got to look for. And I think you, Johnny have, you know, you, you're the fisherman. Um, uh, You might be the, the speaker, you know, that's the intentional, you know, marketing part. You're the the public speaker, agent of change. Um, You did the Ted talk, but it might actually be (laughs) the bass fishing that makes you (laughs) famous and you can endorse products on that on that site. So I would play around with that. Take your video camera out. Do like uh, our buddy Dave the Chef Sheffield. He's out there with his kayaks and doing his morning motivations and you know having a bottle of wine and yeah, I do that, Brad. Already, I already do videos on fishing. There yeah. you go. I love that. I didn't even know you were doing this. This is what's so crazy. That's awesome. Oh yeah, I um and I and I would. Like I have the Instagram account, The Transition Man. That's my public speaking, personal development one. But then my Instagram is called Topwater Johnny. And in that one, that's where I talk about bass fishing. I show videos of me fishing. I talk about lures. And it's just, that's the passion. And that's the, that's the thing that I, that gives me a lot of joy. And I've yeah. noticed what you're talking about, Brad, when, you center in on this thing that you love so much, you know, you start to pull, you start to grow, and then those you start to those people find you. But then right. on the personal development side, it's like you have to go deep and pick a thing within personal development. Like you right. Yeah. Like you said, I want to know about the story inside right. of business, inside of personal development. And that's the thing you gotta kinda do to create separation and to to get people to notice you. So I I agree. Yeah. And I think anybody who's listening, I think there's a quirky part to each and every person that they would rather be doing that, but they can't figure out how to make money from it. So stop worrying about making money from it. And uh, like me, I would always love to do uh, drumming videos, you know, teach people how to play drums or do some painting and drawing and things like that. And I will do that someday. um, Because I think that's where people's, um, you know, that's, that's where we get the traction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that's the word traction because uh, a buddy of mine, Johnny uh, Watson, he's a comedian. You remember I texted you one day and I, I had said you a text that was meant for him, but Johnny Watson, he's a comedian and um, uh, he's, he has this thing. He goes, I'm not that good looking. He says, he goes, I'm not a double take guy, you, you know? And, and double take means a girl walks by and looks at it and then does a double take. He's like, wow, that guy's good. He goes, I'm a one take if I'm lucky. It's like, you know, he makes his face like the girl looks at it. He makes her face. It looks back, you know, and um, I feel that's marketing. You know, that's what we're talking about. Are you the double take guy or are you the single take guy? And with, with bass fishing, that's a double take. That's like, well, I, I wouldn't know Johnny was in the, 
into that until you told me years ago, you told me this. And I, so I find this interesting, um, you know, that, that you go out and you show people how to fish. This is fantastic. If you build your audience to about 10,000 followers, you can start getting sponsorship. Right. Well, I what's interesting. Here's, here's how I, and I, and I, and I'll tell you, I'll share this with your group here tonight. As top water Johnny, hence the name, I only fish top water. There's many different styles, like musicians, like songs, there's different styles. I only fish a certain style right. of fishing. And that allows me to bring, to build an audience of those who just want to see that style. And so it's like in martial arts. There's different styles of martial arts. And then you say, I'm going to pick jujitsu. Well, right. only people who like that follow you. So for me, that's what's happened. People who that's like incredible. to watch bass explode on top of the water, those are the people that follow me because they know I'm fishing with a lure that sits on top where the bass come up and will smack at it and bite it. So that's what I've been doing. And so I have companies that are overseas right now who will send me stuff and I'll do like little infomercial video reviews and nice. I'll, do, I'll do a review and talk about it. I don't get paid, but they, they'll buy the product and give it to me. So now I have it in my collection and I'll talk about it. Wow. So uh, I'm doing infomercials, Brad, indirectly. <laughs> that's incredible. That That's see, you're finding your passion is paying off. Now you build that. We'll talk a little bit more after we get off here on how to uh, build this into getting paid because uh, I, I know how to do this. Uh, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, Dieter Hauer, uh, we grew up together. We're still close friends. His brother, his youngest brother, Pete, uh, actually is has a similar story. He would go out and take videos. He's an avid hunter, and he would shoot. He would specialize in small game. Uh, especially varmints. So he wrote, uh, he has a, uh, a website called Go Go Varmint Go. And uh, he shoots everything from fox to gophers to pheasant to rabbits. And he's gotten such a following that these uh, equipment companies have him come in and speak at their retreats. And the audience invites him to their barbecue somewhere and there'll be like 350 people who want to meet him. Uh, and he's built this into quite a, a, a business and he does um, product endorsements and he, he breaks down and writes for different magazines. So um, he's built quite a following doing this. And uh, I have a feeling you, you're going to do more of this. So I love it. So yeah, but that's, so that's another part of me, but it's also a part of being a speaker. You know, that part, has a place in my life. Yeah. You know, it, they kind of merge together. You know what I mean? They, merge they do. Together. They do. And I, th I think this is incredible what you're doing. I think it's, it's hysterical that your passion that you do on the side is building, is building into something bigger. So uh, I love that about you. Hey, uh, everybody, how do we get a hold of Johnny Campbell? Ladies and gentlemen, where do we go, Johnny, to reach you? Well, if they want to know how to leverage a TEDx talk and to opportunities to speak and to try to book more opportunities to share their message, they can watch a webinar I created called lifeaftertedx.com. 
lifeaftertedx.com. That's where they can go and watch the video of me talking about how to leverage your TEDx. If there's someone that just has questions in general, they can email me, johnny at transitionman.com. And Brad, if they're really, really brave, they can call me, 630-460-3279, and I'll scare them because I'll answer the phone. Say that number again, please. 630-460-3279. And I'm happy to talk to them about you know, how you deal with change, how you find opportunities to speak, all of that kind of stuff. I'm always Excellent. happy to share with people that kind of insight. Awesome. Now, I love, I want everybody to go uh, look at your uh, TED Talk, you know, how an enemy can improve your life. Uh, because I, I just thought that was, not only was it has your, your, your great sense of humor in it, um, but the way you explain it on stage makes total sense. It's really, really great to watch. Well, I had a lot of fun putting it together. I, I tell everybody, when I tell you, I write my speeches. A lot of speakers don't write speeches. But you do. I, I grew up and got trained to write my speeches. I had a mentor named Bill Function who was an English professor at a college in Chicago. And he would have me come to his class. And I would sit there in his class and watch him talk about writing speeches out and structure. Right. So, I got conditioned early on in my career to be a writer. And then here, Brad, is a famous Hollywood phrase. Writers write their way. In other words, I'm being Rocky Balboa. The only way I'm getting in the movie is if I write myself into the movie. Yes. So I got good at writing my speeches out so that I could be a better presenter of my message. Now, a lot of people, they might not feel comfortable writing speeches. But I've written speeches, and that, that's really what I do. I've even had people approach me to be a speechwriter for them, not politicians, because I don't want to get into that. Right. I have done some speechwriting for CEOs and executives in the past. Well, the effort shows because you're phenomenal on stage. You, there, there aren't too many people that I admire or could follow me. Um, you rock holy crap you followed me um in chicago i did i did the i did the after um lunch dreaded after lunch position <laughs> for an hour and a half and i got off we got a little break and then you hit the stage and you were just incredible i mean you wowed the hell out of him and i was like i'm thinking well if anybody deserves to follow me it's you well, <laughs> number one and if anybody can make them forget me it's you. Oh, my God. <laughs> After lunch, that one o'clock slot is a hard slot to play. I because love that slot, a, believe it or not. It's a tough one. I mean, we love the honeypot, <clears throat> 9 o'clock to 11. That's the sweet spot right there. Right. They're just about coffeeed up just right. They got enough sugar and coffee in them. And it's either wanna, you want to open or you want to close. And yeah, yeah that right after lunch is oh, the worst. One o'clock, and you got to bring the energy because they are going down fast. Yeah, well, Tony, Tony used to always give me that slot because he knew I could handle it. But I remember from my old stand-up comedy days, uh, you know, people when they're eating, 
you can't hit punchlines when people are walking around, when people are falling. So you got to bring a lot of energy uh, and be more interesting, <laughs> be more funny. Yeah, well, you know, because uh, it's right after lunch. Right. Here's the one thing that I have noticed as a speaker when people say this. Speakers will say, um, I'm engaging, I'm engaging. And when they think of engaging, they're thinking about getting up, moving around, doing exercises and activities. Being interesting on stage is engaging, Brad. That, that doesn't require any physical activity if you're interesting. And, and I heard a guy say that a while back, and I really thought about that. I said, if you're interesting on stage, they are engaged. If you're not interesting, then it's not that you can't do yeah. all that other stuff, but being interesting is an act of engagement. Yeah. Well, um, my favorite thing to do is walk out into the center of the room <laughs> I know. And, and dead silent and just give this mischievous look, look around the room for almost an uncomfortable 30 seconds. And everybody sits forward. All of a sudden, they're like, what the hell is he going to do? I do that on purpose. That's that's my favorite thing to do because it's like you have to have confidence in knowing that you're going to wow the audience to even do that. And some people just hate the pause, the pregnant pause. You and I love that. We're fans of the pregnant pause because we'll yeah. just stop and we'll look around and they're like, yeah, and? <laughs> and then, <laughs> lean in on that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, especially if you, if you walk around, they are definitely on edge. They don't know if oh. you're going to turn. And <laughs> oh, I love that. We just left. Let every uh, person listening uh, know a, a little secret. That that's a piece of a, that's an AK forty-seven for your arsenal of speaking. Man, this is fun. Hey, dude, I do a lightning round on my okay. show, and. We're going to ask some questions. I'm going to ask you some questions so that okay. my audience can get a chance to know you a little bit better. Now sure. that you're, now that you're a mature married man, we, oh, we yeah. have to we have to sit and ask you questions here to to, uh, to get in there. Are you ready? You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, I'm I'm trying to be your Andy Dufresne. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, first question. Um, what pisses you off? Really, um, obscurity, and and when I and and people not doing the work externally, externally, people not doing the work and excelling, and I know they're not doing the work. That kind of bothers me. And right. then myself, that pisses me off is not being known by enough people. When you, I'll describe it this way. If you believe in your heart that you have the cure for cancer, you want everyone to know about that. And right. it affects you that you can't let enough people know. Now, I can't say they're going to take the cure, but you want them to know it exists. And so obscurity really, it's like every day I get up, is like I got to let more people know about me and what I do because that allows me to help improve a lot more people's lives by sharing what I know. So those right. are kind of things that get me riled up and upset. And, um, you know, those are really the biggest things for me that really upset me. There's a lot of social injustice out here. But the thing I feel like I can control is really obscurity. And that's the one thing that upsets me the most. Because I know right. I can 
something about it. You you got to help the world, and if you're the best kept secret in the world, you can't help the world. Right. And I I get that. Um, and the reason I ask that is I, I don't think I've ever seen you angry, you know, and we've spent a lot of time together. So I'm, I'm sitting there going, does he ever get mad? <laughs> put, it, put it like this, Brad. It's kind of how we, how we describe it this way. Let's describe it like the old Incredible Hulk show. Mr. McGee, yeah. you would yeah. like to see me when I'm angry. A lot Mr. Of people McGee. Are, they wouldn't they, they yeah. like to see me when I'm angry. So I have learned to um, to quell that level of anger. I've learned to quell a lot of that anger and channel it into more into yeah. a, and, and see the world. You know, how about this? I'm more stoic now than I was early in my life. Nice. Maturity. <laughs> You wouldn't like me if I was angry. Yeah, <laughs> I love that line. My second question is, uh, I know you love fish, but uh, what's what's one of your other favorite foods? Well, I have become uh, quite the culinary at making um, what I call mega-sized blueberry muffins. <laughs> I've become quite the quite the blueberry muffin maker over the last couple of weeks here. So, well, those of you who don't know Johnny, he is built like a linebacker for the NFL, uh, big as a house with a tank. Uh, uh, with all I know in the martial arts, I wouldn't want to mess with you. You're, just, you're, you're solid, bro. Um, so baking is probably... So you making, you making muffins uh, in the baking is just like, Making me crack up. I'm sitting there. Look how delicate he does it. Exactly. <laughs> he does the pants. <laughs> I, I would love to hang out with you and just watch you do this. Well, that's, so, probably, the, that's probably the funniest thing, but that's something that I enjoy, and my wife definitely enjoys eating muffins. And so I do some bacon. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. My third and final question is, what's your favorite memory? Oh wow! Um, the there's there's really been I, I have two two memories that that come to me as as the top favorite. Uh, the first one was I spoke at Toastmasters International Convention in 2018. I was one of the keynoters on the main stage, so I spoke to the entire world, and I did my talk. But I got to do something that I, it was like the Academy Awards for me. I got to thank all the people who have helped me grow as an individual and as a speaker through Toastmasters. And that was a very special moment because wow. I got them to know how special, I mean, I had told them one-on-one, -on -one, but they had never heard themselves being told by name to the world at a keynote address. Wow. Let them know how special they were to me. And one gentleman, the professor who helped me work on my speeches, the day after I did my talk, he passed away. Wow. But I called him two wow. days before to tell him I was coming to town to speak. And I wanted him there, but he had just gotten out of the hospital, and I didn't know how bad he was health-wise. Wow. But he got a chance from home to watch through the Internet my speech. Right. And then, like I said, the day after he passed. 
And that wow. was, but I got a chance to talk to him and for him to hear that. And that That's was incredible. That was really, and my wife was in the audience. So I got a chance to really thank people who had helped me. And that was special. This other weird special moment has to do with Tony Rybulski, Dave Sheffield, Brad Salas, where <laughs> we all had an opportunity to come together and speak at the same event together. To me, that is a special thing because I don't get a chance to speak on stages with friends, with people right. I know and care about. So those are special moments. Like I'm normally the guy that comes in, Brad, does the talk, sells the books, and gets out of there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not the show anymore. I'm there for that 45 minutes and I'm done. What's special is when I can go to an event and I can speak and I can actually hang out with my friends and be on stage with my friends as well. Right. And I don't get that very often. So that's why it's, so it's a favorite and memorable because I don't get to do that. Like right. I've done it. I've done it twice in my life. And both times you've been there. And that's it. So that's why I'm saying that's why it's so memorable because I don't get to do it. Oh, and wow. So it, it, makes, it takes me to the, uh, since you're in Vegas, it takes me to the Rat Pack era. <laughs> where you're on stage with all of your friends and you get a chance to kind of do what you do and hang out. And I think that's special to me. And that's that why is. I kind of savor it and talk to you about it when it does happen. You know, I kind of, yeah. it's special. It and, is. And, you know, so those are probably the two of my career that were the most memorable, the favorite. Then, of course, you can't help it, Brad. There's, the audience that laughs the loudest will always be the most special, too, in your life. The yeah. one that gets the joke and everyone yeah. laughs. I mean, there's nothing like um, making, I made 10,000 people laugh at one time. Right. On and that was that. That was awesome. It was just That's a, a great roar. Time. It was a roar. I could not, I could not, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to describe when you have everybody, almost, everyone. With right. You, you know, a comedian knows that feeling. But to be a oh, yeah. and you can do that, well, you know. You, that's that, called, you that's know? called magic time. Oh, when yeah. every joke, when every joke nails, yep. every, every inflection Mm -hmm. um, my greatest dream was to make an audience laugh without using words, just facial expressions. And I, right. I was able to do that a few times. Those are, they don't come often, but when they no. come, it's like, wow. So, but those two are really the biggest thing when it comes to speaking. Those are probably my best favorite moments. Wow. And, um, you know, but, it is what it is out here in the marketplace, Brad. You just every day you get on stage and you do the best you can with what you've been given. Right. And you hope that someone will take what you've shared and they will be better because of it. You hope. <laughs> Dude, stop being a best kept secret. I want to see more marketing from you. Ladies and gentlemen, reach out to Johnny Campbell. Uh, your websites again, where should they go to? They can go to riseupandwin.com to reach me there. That's where I keep all my books, tapes, and audios. If they right. want to be involved with TEDx and they want to learn how to leverage it, go to lifeaftertedx.com. They can email me, johnny at transitionman.com, or they can call me, 
888-646-3279, and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. We'll schedule time, and we'll talk it out. Dude, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed Johnny Campbell sharing his wisdom here on Awakened Nation. Catch you next week, everybody. Thanks, Johnny, for being on the show. Thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week.